The reason I like it um, is because the entire team is made up of your peers. In fact, John, we were talking back there, and it's like every time people throw shirts out, they, they throw them right over your head. So as a team, we thought, you should get a shirt okay, once this semester. I can catch it. Even. There you go. <laughs> and that, that's, that's the big deal for me. Um, in fact, we're talking about this service today, and it said, hey, let's um, figure out what you want to do. So we talk as a team. It's like, hey, how about, you know, you speak a little bit shorter, we do a little bit more of this, and when we come back and end with worship, it's like, perfect. And so the whole session this morning, this chapel was designed by your peers. In fact, everything that we go through this next weekend, and when we come back a week from today and have Nicole Reyes here and Phil Joel and everything that we do, um, it's designed by you guys. And that's why I think it's, that's why I think it's so different than a lot of other things on other campuses. In fact, there's a lot of schools, the vast majority of them, don't even do anything like this. And so I'll get phone calls all the time and they'll ask like, what's the secret? I mean, what, do, what budget do we need? It's like, you don't, you don't need to focus on budget. That's the wrong thing. You need to connect with students. I mean, because they're this incredible resource and they get it and they want it and they'll fight for it. And, and it's kind of like when I was a middle school pastor, I would walk out and a middle school kid would want to know if, if we liked them. And then you become a high school pastor and then high school students look at you and it's like, I don't know if I like that, bro. You know what I'm talking about? And then all of a sudden we get back here and I think that you're more like middle school students. You've lost, you're abandoned. You don't care about like, especially if you're a junior and senior in college, it's like, I don't care. If anybody likes the way my hair is now, I can, guys, I mean, I see this in Hudson all the time. They're wearing plaids and stripes at the same time. It's like, so? What does it matter? <laughs> I was over at Hudson the other day, and it's like, they were so proud. I mean, bro, where's the Hudson bros? <laughs> I actually ha asked permission from Sam Weber and a couple other people about if I could tell the story about Hudson, and... You guys said yes, so don't get sad at me, all right? So I'm over there, and it's like they had this, they had this puzzle that they had put together. And they're like, man, this took us six months. And it's like, bro, you're proud of this? It's like it took us six months. I said, I could take that over to Evans. It would take them about six minutes. And they're like, what are you talking about? I mean, we did it in six months. Look, and they brought me out the box. And they, they, here comes the box, and on the side it says, Two to three years. <laughs> you know that's funny. <laughs> Come on. Hudson bros, there's my Hudson guys. Come on. I asked permission. So it's like when we get into this, and, and I'm so proud of the team that comes out. Danielle, um, that girl has so much pressure on her. We were talking about it the other day. It's like, listen, don't worry, Danielle. Look, it. there's almost 3,000 people who live on this campus. And then let's say, you know, let's make that 2,500 because people are here and there. And then say, like, we have a bunch of athletes and they're, they're Fridays and Saturdays, they might be in track or softball or baseball. They're gone. So let's make it 2,000. Out of the 2,000 people, you know, that are left over, a bunch of us, it's like all we need is 400 to house students, and we were covered. And she goes, yeah, but we only have 200 right now. It's like, just tell them. Tell them in chapel. Let them know. 
That's why we were kind of bummed out a couple weeks ago when the power went down. Because at the end of the day, it, it's, it's on your back as well. You might not actually have the title or wear one of the Fusion shirts that says staff on it. But the entire team, they all know that it's you that make it happen. Because if a, a couple people have someplace to sleep, then they're taken care of. Because we have everything else covered. But they have to be taken care of. They have to go someplace on our campus. Someplace that, that's safe and you know, taken care of by you. So we take a look at it and think that we have an entire resource. We don't want to put them in hotels. We want to hang out on our campus. And so talking to Danielle, it's like, it's going to be fine. Just tell them on chapel on Friday. And, and by the end of lunch, I bet you'll, you'll be covered. There'll be no problem because we get it. And that's what makes me so proud. In fact, I was so honored that, that Hannah called me Charlie instead of like professor. Um, that, I was actually really proud of that. It's like because I feel that we're partnering in this ministry together. It's not me telling them what to do, but it's us together walking this road. And so I told Danielle, don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. You let them know in chapel. And by the end of lunch on Friday, people will hear and they'll respond. And that's what I love about this place. I've told you this before. I mean, this is a beautiful building. People walk on campus. We have over 200 visitors today, actually. And they'll walk on campus. And this is pretty impressive. And then you walk in the student center, and that's pretty impressive. But the most impressive thing about IWU is the spirit of God and his presence in this place. That's the most impressive. And who is that lived out through? That's lived out through you. You live that out. And so money is not the greatest resource. That's embarrassing. All right? The greatest thing that we have is God's presence, and then we have you students. That's what makes this place so impressive. I have to explain that to the bands all the time. They'll see the room and think, oh, you guys got something going on. It's like, no, it's just brick and mortar. You have to see the students. You have to connect to the students. So this morning, we're going up about designing the chapel. And I felt pretty convicted about something. And literally, I'm going to not as much preach as as much read you my journal. We're having this conversation. Um, and we're talking about who Jesus is and the way he functions and works in our life. And there's this metaphor that's used over and over and over and over about a stone or a rock, the cornerstone, this, this idea of about what he is and this immovable object and how we can trust him and how you build a house on the rock and not on sand. And so I was reading through Romans and I got a little bit um, messed up over one of these metaphors on Jesus as a stumbling stone. Now I'm really lucky because I work with my friends in STM, School of Theology and Ministry. They're not like other professors. Um, they're, of course, these great, brilliant people, but we're all friends. So we talk about it. And I'll go to Dr. Elaine Bernius and I'll say, hey, I'm struggling with this Greek word, proskuneto, and exactly how does that mean? Because I understand, I think I know what it means, but I just want to make sure that, you know, you're in agreement. Or yesterday I went to Dr. Absom Joseph and said, hey, you know, in my notes, I'm thinking about this idea, and I'm just going to share this in chapel about what this means in Scripture and Romans. And so I sit in his office, and we talk about the different perspectives of how that metaphor is used over and over and over. I mean, how cool is that? In fact, you have the same resource 
And every professor that works at IWU, that you can go to them and bounce ideas off. We love it. Actually, we love it. And so, like, I do that, and I come back, and I begin to read this. And I'm literally going to read you my notes from my journal. I'm going through Romans, and I'm kind of getting messed up with this. Because I know that the key of living a relationship with Jesus Christ is by faith. That is a key tenet of our faith in Christ, that we don't live by works, all right? That's not good enough. To have this relationship with Jesus Christ, the key component is that you say that you accept by faith that God is God and you are not. That it's his power and his strength that lives in you to move you to do anything that's good. So I know that. I mean, I'm aware of that. So it's like, and you are too, because you're brilliant. So we all know that to be true. But then I read this. I'm, I'm now I'm down Romans chapter 9, verse 30, where he says, and he's, Paul's like messing with us. What shall we say then? Should I read this scripture as if I were Wilbur? I mean, that's up to you guys. That's not up to me. Can I do, is that cool? I can't even tell right now. I don't want you to be sad at me. Okay. What shall we say then? <laughs> that Gentiles, not knowing what Jehu had done. <laughs> okay, I, I won't do it. Sorry. <laughs> I love Wilbur. <laughs> Dude, he is, he is the coolest bro that I've ever met in my life. I'm just being straight with you guys. He is so, you all see him in the office. It's like sometimes he's just, I don't know who he is. It's, it's Indiana Jones, it's Abraham, it's Wilbur. It's just, you don't know what you're going to get. Like a box of chocolates, right? What shall we say then? That Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith? But that Israel who has who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. I begin to write this down. It's like, I know this. Here's my notes. I have always known Jesus as that person that saved me and gave me this incredible gift. I accept him because I accepted him because I was scared. I, I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal savior, not because I believed is an awesome, incredible power, because as a middle schooler and even a little bit younger, I was just afraid of dying. And I went to my mom and I said, I don't want to die. You know, and I'm afraid of what would happen when I die. And then she led me through this prayer, and it was beautiful, and it was amazing. But I'm just being straight honest with you. I didn't accept Jesus Christ because I, I understood him. I, I was afraid of him and death. And basically, it was like an insurance policy. And then what happened is, in my notes, after I accepted him, I went on living my same old life. As if I had taken Jesus, accepted him, put it in an envelope, sealed it, and put it on a shelf. It's like, now listen, I can go and do whatever I choose to go and do because I've got Jesus. 
I accepted him. I've got the envelope. I can prove it. I got baptized. They gave me a certificate. Anybody have a baptism certificate? You know, where they gave you this little thing, and I put that in the envelope, and all of a sudden, it's like, I'm good to go. I mean, I, I have Jesus. I've got the envelope that proves it, but there really was no life change. And this is where the scripture came home to roost in my life, came home to live. I began stumbling all over Jesus, his word. And what I began to realize is this. I began to read more and more about him. The relationship with Jesus was not about getting to know him. It was about depending on him to keep me out of hell. So I had to read to connect and have a relationship with him. Jesus is a stumbling stone for both those who know him and those who don't. I know him. And then I'm just telling you how I wrote it, holy buckets. It's what I put in my notes. I, I can't believe I said this to myself. Holy buckets, that's me. I stumble over Jesus because my eyes aren't fixed on him. I stumble over Jesus because my eyes are fixed on everything else. I stumble over Jesus because I'm more concerned about what I think than what he says. I stumble over Jesus because I don't treat people the same way I want to be treated. I stumble over Jesus because I fail to forgive and as if I've never been forgiven. I stumble over Jesus because I can't worship that day because I don't like the style of the person who's leading worship or the person themselves. I stumble over Jesus over and over again when I take control over my life instead of relinquishing control to him. Now, those are my notes to myself. About three years ago, at this time, I'm old enough to know better and I work at IWU. And I felt so stinking convicted when I wrote this. And I started keeping going. It's like, okay. When I went back in my life. When I discovered accountability conviction, I thought it was something that meant that I was separated from God. I thought that accountability conviction meant that I had failed. I thought that accountability and conviction meant that it's like I wasn't good enough as a Christian. So I didn't want to become accountable or I didn't want conviction in my life because that meant I wasn't good enough. And I was wrong. Accountability conviction is not the absence of Christ in your life. It's the presence. It's the stumbling stone that actually is there for our sake, not for his. See, conviction means like, hey, hold on, Travis, Trevor, Emily, whoever you are. Hold on. Where you're headed, what you're doing, is that in me or is that of you? Is that for me? Is that for you? And all of a sudden, this conviction comes around, and, and I notice that the more I'm around, it's like the more there, I'm taking notes and thinking, holy buckets, right there is a situation I've got to change. In fact, I was actually listening to a senior sermon about fasting from Brooke Eber, who's actually on our team. I was sitting in the building listening to her senior sermon about fasting, and next thing you know, I'm taking notes on what she's saying because it's like, for some reason, in all of my years, I've never really heard it said like that. I was convicted listening to a student preach. I got really convicted over this note. 
I was sitting right back there with a group of people when Mick Beach was here preaching early in the semester. He was talking so fast that I've trained myself to listen to him. Some of you were kind of struggling with that. You know what I'm talking about? The bro is just going after it, but he said this. Have we domesticated God, domesticated God? Have we become a people that want God to fit into our own perspective, our design, our mold, rather than us fitting into his perspective, his design, his mold? And then I put that down. I wrote that down. I wasn't texting, I promise, sir. I was not texting. I was taking notes on my phone. And I, I wrote that down. He said that, and I said, yes. And I wasn't thinking about you. It wasn't about you. I wasn't in my notes, those kids from IWU have done this. I looked at it and it's like, yes, I have. And there was a couple other notes that I began to write that had nothing to do with what he's saying. I put down, what is normal for Jesus is supernatural to us. Why would we ever try to bring him down to our level? Becoming like Christ is change. This is to me that scares me. It's change that costs me. It's a relationship that transforms me. It transforms me into his image, which means that I become more like him every day and less and less like myself. I want to die to self and grow in his likeness. I want to move from living normal in a culture that has defined living. And I want to live supernatural in the way that God has designed us to live. And then it got worse. The more he was preaching, the more I felt convicted. And I wrote this down. I can be very sincere and yet be sincerely wrong. You can be an incredible person, Charlie, who is loving and kind and be completely contrary to who Jesus is and get away with it. And then I put a therefore there. Okay, I mean, I put therefore, all right, I could be an incredible person. I can hold sincerity above belief and therefore belief must matter even more who your belief is in. And I realize it's a stumbling stone for me is that being sincere is not good enough. Being given over to a cause is not good enough. Loving people is not good enough. Feeding the poor is not good enough. Loving and trusting Jesus is what he asked for. And a byproduct of me chasing Jesus and becoming like Jesus is I become a person who lives in that supernatural. And that is a supernatural ability to care about somebody else the way they should be cared about. And that is the ability to go out and do things like this event we're doing or, or be involved in the community the way we should be involved in the community or care about people that I don't even know. I'm not even in their context. They don't even live in this country. It's not because I have this great ability to manage it and be a wonderful person. It's because Jesus Christ is a supernatural power in our life for us to do anything. And are we stumbling over Am I stumbling over the fact that I become more I become more secure in my own abilities 
than in my faith in him to work through me. And that's my notes. I've only gotten through one and a half pages. I have five more. I think that's good enough right now. I hate it when God's word, the Bible, gets in the way of the way that I want to think. Is that anybody else beside me? We have this tendency to take what God has given us by his grace and faith and then add to it what we think and, and kind of believe that will take us to the next level. And what I'm learning, what I'm learning is this. That stumbling stone that Jesus is to me convicts me to remember it is his power in my life that allows me to do ministry to care about somebody else more than I care about myself. And I stumble over that when I begin to take back control. And look it, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're there too. I mean, this is family right now. To all of our visitors, this is, this is not so much for you guys. I mean, I'm just talking to us. But this is where we live. Every day, winning over that battle that it's his power and his strength alive in us that allows us to be who we desire to be. That's supernatural. I don't think I can be supernatural, even though I think Spider-Man is the coolest bro of them all. All right? And so I'm just hoping some spider will bite me and then I can just take off during chapel, boom, and go out the back door and you'd be so impressed. But that's not the supernatural I'm talking about. I'm talking about the real supernatural. You can have it, and so can I. But it starts with this key word, by faith, every day. The band's going to come out right now, and what we're going to do is this, is we're going to end chapel with worship as well. And as we do this, I just want to say to you, could we take these last minutes and just in this weird way, instead of checking out and thinking about what's next, could we take these last minutes and just reconnect with him in a, in a unique way, like a, a, a real supernatural way? Because they picked out these songs based on this message. And they thought this would be the perfect way for us to, to leave chapel. Taking like this idea and us spending some time, not about what's next, but about what's right now. And so the invitation is this, not to come forward, but just to stand and you connect with Jesus Christ right now and have that moment because it was in chapel with Mick Beach sitting right back there that I had to have that moment. In fact, what I realized in my old age is that if you stop having those moments, you're in trouble. If you stop having those moments, you're in trouble. That's what it means to be a, a believer that you're willing to submit to conviction. And the stumbling stone isn't something that gets in your way, that thing that protects you.